0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. Thank you for lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource that you've got, and that's your time. You are in the right place. I will affirm that. And especially if you are curious about how the solar industry, the residential side of it at least, is growing. And how are these sales teams that are running rampant around the US actually being built? Well, today's entrepreneur has built just such an organization. Alex K. Williams is the co-founder of Solar Energy Partners. And his story is one that is fascinating. In his 20s, he built a business in the oil and gas industry. We get into that. His brother, Meanwhile, got into door to door and uh, home automation business by a name that you probably would recognize. We talk about how he and his brother eventually joined forces <clears throat> and how their passion for helping build a culture that edifies and, and helps not only customers, but their employees have a better and more rich life that became their mission. And that is what Solar Energy Partners is all about. I was skeptical at first about this business and i encourage you to put your skepticism for any parts of the solar industry aside as we dig into this founder's story because i think you're gonna you're gonna learn a lot just like i did and if you like what you hear i hope that you'll subscribe to the show because that's how you will be sure that you don't miss out on our twice weekly content just like this of course you can always go back and listen to the 400 plus additional founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com or right inside the podcast player you're in. If you subscribe, then it'll tell you every time one comes out Tuesdays and Thursdays right here with you, encouraging you along your clean energy journey. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. So today, as I mentioned, we are looking at the residential side of the U.S. solar industry. It's a gaping hole in our content. We haven't really interviewed a ton of folks that do residential solar, kind of writ large. I've focused my career on utility and CNI, but today I am bringing on my new friend, Alex Williams of Solar Energy Partners. Uh, And by the end of this interview, you'll understand why. It is a wild and crazy time right now to be in residential solar. and, And I thought it was when I first got in in 2006. Alex is going to help us understand so the bifurcation in the solar industry between sort of sales and marketing and construction before we jump down that rabbit hole let me first say hello Alex welcome to Suncast
1: Nico appreciate it man excited to be here happy Wednesday afternoon
0: well brother I'm stoked to have you on the show I get pitched by a lot of folks on hey let me have you or let me be on Suncast so it's rare that I'll follow up on those unless I see a clear opportunity and when Amy your marketing lead reached out and said, hey, you should interview Alex. I was dubious as ever. And I started looking into it, man. And you've got just such a fascinating story and the team that you've built and the the backstory, the background is is fascinating. It's a perfect Suncast water and I'm looking forward to getting into it. It makes me wonder though, and it's not something that we've talked a ton about in our lead up to this. When you were a kid, I remember that your are LDS. Uh, I presume you were raised in Utah. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but- Idaho. Idaho. Okay. How did your upbringing and family life influence you as an entrepreneur?
1: We were really fortunate to be raised in a home where we kind of had both sides of the fence in the sense that our dad's side of the family uh, did a lot of blue collar, you know, hard physical labor type of work. And the mom's side of the family was a lot more business minded. And um, I think every member of her family has been a business owner at some point. And so being able to kind of see work harder, work smarter, put them both together. And, and it kind of creates a pretty unique experience. So we were very fortunate to have absolutely fantastic parents.
0: What was dinner conversation like? Did you guys talk about like school stuff or like, were you always scheming business ideas? What that? What, that, <laughs> what, that? what, what mold did you, did you break there?
1: Yeah. So uh, we were uh, five o'clock every night. Everybody's at the dinner table type of family for sure. Growing always up. five o'clock. Yeah. Well it's usually like five fifteen, five thirty. Mom and dad both My wife has tried to
0: my wife has tried to make that a
1: reality. <laughs> I feel like uh man it was I don't know if it was easier back then or if it just my parents were very disciplined with it. Um but yeah, they were they were great about it. And you know, uh they like to do the daily debrief, how did school go? Anything happen? Uh I'm a bit of a troublemaker in my heart and kind of was always, uh, they were usually trying to make sure that they weren't going to have to get a phone call from a principal or get some kind of note signed for trouble that I was getting in. But business was for sure a part of the family. It was, they were always talking about what was going on. Not as much scheming, I guess, as you would say, like they didn't do a lot of talking to us about starting our own businesses, but um, they were talking about what was going on in theirs and our aunts and uncles and all the things they were doing. So uh, business was always a part of the conversation for sure. How many brothers and sisters? Just one, one older brother.
0: No way, just the older brother. Fantastic. Yeah. What's, the del- what's the delta in age? Uh,
1: Like three and a half years. He'll be, gotcha. uh, he just turned 38 and I'll be 35 in January. And um, we're Youngins. partners here in Solar Energy Partners.
0: Well, before you guys started Solar Energy Partners, you had two sort of different lives as one would expect. And you went off sort of traipsing through the energy field to scratch that entrepreneurial itch, I'd love to know what was the spark that you know, caused you to form your first venture in the energy sector and uh, give, me, give us some context around that business.
1: Yeah. So we were actually the other end of the energy spectrum from where we are now. The, the first foray into oil, energy for us was oil and gas. So mm-hmm. uh, 2011, we were here in California doing uh, home security and I had some friends that had made it up to North Dakota and started working in the Bakken oil fields up there uh, in the fracking industry, and were telling me I needed to get involved in it. I'd been, you know, in some form or another, I'd been knocking doors since I was 15 years old. I was uh, almost 25 at that point, so I was I'd been at it a long time and just looking for something that was kind of completely different. I love to drive and anything with a motor uh, is, is I'm a fan of it. So they were doing trucking, um, so we started a trucking company. I actually called and borrowed the money from Clint, my older brother, not necessarily on a whim, but for most people that probably seemed pretty crazy. We had a conversation on a Friday and by Monday he was putting a hundred grand into an account and we were going to buy our first truck.
0: What was the idea? What was the truck for?
1: Uh, So the whole thing is the type of exploration that they do in North Dakota and really most of the exploration in the United States is called shale or shale oil fracking, where um, if you think of... The Middle East and like, you know, old Texas oil, it's kind of like a Capri Sun under the ground and you just drill a hole down into it and the oil comes out. And shale oil is a lot more like a sponge under the ground that has a bunch of little caverns of oil. And so, they have to come in and use high-pressure water and chemicals to create um, a fracture experience that breaks up all the particles between those chambers and unlocks all the oil. So, it requires literally tens of millions of gallons of water. And in North Mm -hmm. Dakota, there was no infrastructure. So we would have to pick the water up, transport it, you know, anywhere from five miles to a hundred miles to the location. And then when they were done with the water, it was dirty. So you'd have to take the dirty water back out to a disposal facility. And so, yeah, it was all around trucking um, and just transporting water back and forth.
0: How did you know that was an opportunity (laughs) and and that there was profit in it?
1: Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I had a couple of friends that I don't, you know, they just kind of stumbled into it. One of my friends, um, got into trucks after high school and was kind of like over the road, just normal trucking type trucking. And he was the first one up there. And then in Idaho and, and really, uh, especially the kind of part of Idaho, I'm from Southeast Idaho. If there's a way uh, to create profit, the word spreads pretty rapidly. And so uh, a couple more friends heard about it and went up. And by the time I got there, I had four different friends that had all bought a truck, put the truck to work, been successful. So I was able to look at all of their numbers and go through all of their expenses and see exactly what it was going to take. And then, you know, we were fortunate enough to get in. And
0: What would you see that was being done wrong that you could fix? like Because I know you're a tinkerer. You are a, a systems guy.
1: Yeah. Um, I, really, the main problem I had with it was like, why aren't you guys doing more trucks? Like, um, when you look at it, it It was very achievable to have a truck gross ten thousand dollars a week and net you know three or four thousand of that if you're driving it yourself, it could be six or seven thousand of it and so it's like if you can turn money over that quickly, why are you doing one truck at a time, two trucks at a time and so uh, we went in and, and our game was definitely scale. We started with one truck by the end of twelve months we were at five by the end of twenty four months we were at fifteen by the end of thirty six months we were over thirty. So, um, we were there to do if, you know, if one plus one equals two, then 10 plus 10 equals 20 and a hundred plus a hundred equals 200. Right.
0: Did you finance that or was all cash flow? We did
1: investor model. So we went in and kind of proved that it worked and then, um, would find people and just kind of do private raise. So I'd say, Hey, you know, put up 150 grand, we'll get you two trucks and trailers all handle everything and take a percentage of everything that that truck makes. So I was doing all the hiring and training and HR and then going out and finding the work. And um, we were just having people that were basically buy a truck, put a a card in it to run that truck. And then um, as the truck starts to turn profit, they're making some of it and we're making some of it.
0: That's fascinating. I mean, there's so many businesses like this too. I just realized not long ago that most of the bread industry in the United States functions like this. The the trucks are franchises basically it's amazing it's almost like taxi business but like owning a medallion is different than driving a taxi absolutely yeah it was uh it was fun times yeah well tell me about your journey then from oil and gas to renewables i'm happy to see you on you know, on this side of the fence and yeah uh, and and extending an olive branch to others in the industry and obviously here on suncast we love to highlight folks that have taken the journey from oil and gas to renewables. I'd love to hear more about that piece of the story for you.
1: Yeah. So the thing that I figured out in oil and gas is just the tremendous impact that energy has and can create. So when we were in oil, it was like 85 to a hundred dollars per barrel. That's the unit of measurement they use in the oil industry. And, and so the price of that went from 85 to 100 for all of 2011, 12, 13, 14. By October of 14, it started to slip. By January of 15, so 90 days later, it had gone from 92 to sub-40 for the first time since World War II. So it was the worst oil collapse that, that's really happened on a worldwide basis. And so we kind of had a moment where it was like, hey, are we going to bear down and try and you know survive our way through this until it rebounds? Or do we want to make a pivot? And um, luckily at that time, my brother had pivoted from home security to solar. So he stayed in home security when I left, continued to have a very successful career there. And so the company that he was working for at the time was opening a solar division. They came to him and said, hey, you've got a great track record building teams, leading teams. Would you switch your whole team over and do solar? And if you will, you can kind of have carte blanche on the US. We have these five markets we want to open, whatever one you want to do. So he ended up getting into Solar. That was like game.
0: a that was a totally random small solar company, right?
1: Uh well, it was Vivint Solar, so it was uh <laughs> they ended right. up being a, a pretty big piece of the game here. Mm-hmm. Hashtag uh, shout out to Todd. I love Todd Peterson. So yeah, that Clint was at Vivint for a long time and and we learned a ton from them, um but when when Vivint was making that big push that they had 2015, 16, 17 when they were opening offices like, you know, crazy. Clint got in early. And so when oil was kind of imploding and it was like man what are we going to do and we were partners in the in the oil industry as well we me and Clinton partners on pretty much everything we do so um I was like man it's this is not going the way that we want do we want to well he said he's like do you want to stick it out and make it work or do you want to do something man. else and I was like honestly man I'd love to get out of here and he's like you got to come to solar it's blowing up and so we started liquidating um, helped our, you know, partners eliminate theirs, or if they didn't want to, some of them were like, Hey, I'll just hold the asset trucks and trailers. Um, have they hold a ton of value. If you want to, you can kind of just go throw them in a the field for a year or two. And when oil comes wow. back there, your money comes right back. So some of our uh, people just held on to it and, and ended up selling them later, but I ended up joining Clint at Vivint solar in, uh, February of 2015. And just got I a job. Yeah, it was, um, I told him when I got there that I probably wasn't going to be his number one sales rep, but that there'd be a lot more sales reps in the room. I'm uh, naturally a team builder, not necessarily the greatest you know, personal sales rep that there is. And so um, when I got there in February, I was the 17th person in the office. About 90 days later in June, we had 50 people in the office. So um, I did my part of it.
0: What makes you a natural team builder? Um, I'm a people guy, man. I love people.
1: Um, what I, what I love is watching people transform into what they've always hoped they could be, or always kind of, you know, hoped would happen, right? people, I think we all have another level that we want to get to, and we'd love to be at and that we're trying to achieve. And I love creating a system where somebody can come in and start to work on that. It's not, um, if you're familiar with John Wooden, Uh, probably the greatest college basketball coach ever, right? He was interviewed one time and they said, you know, how do you create such great basketball players, 10 championships in 11 years or whatever that he did there at UCLA? How do you keep creating these great basketball players? And he said, I don't try and create great basketball players. I try and create great men because great men play great basketball. And so that's kind of always been our thing is um, we want to help you be a great person. And if you're a great person, then you're going to do great work.
0: That's fascinating that you were able to grow the team that quickly. I know that it's not something you've done once, you've done it multiple times. We're going to talk a bit more about that as well. But I'd like to dig into your time at Vivint to to the extent that I can better understand it. How was the Vivint team structured and how did you and your brother change the way Vivint operated? How did that lead to more leadership opportunity for you at Vivint? And, uh, and eventually I want to get into kind of what worked and what didn't.
1: Yeah. So, you know, all of the Vivint smart home days, so Clint joined Vivint smart home in 2005, I joined 2008. So we spent years and years at Vivint smart home. And in that time period, it was all, uh, the managers are growing their teams, right? If you want to be a district manager, you got to go out and recruit your friends or your people. And, and, and that was, you know, kind of how it worked and in the Vivint solar, once they opened that up, they were taking a ton of their smart home teams and kind of converting them over, especially the older people uh, that had been with the company for a long time. And so it was a little bit more like corporate built, quote unquote. And so when I joined uh, Vivint, it was they were pushing leadership from the smart home side to the solar side, but they didn't have um the greatest system for putting the bodies around the leaders right a leader's only as good as the number of people that he can impact and so um when i came in again a 17 person team's not a horrible team like that they were doing great volume they were doing great work but um again if you can run from 17 to 50 or if you can go from 25 to whatever you're just going to have more impact and so i came in and was able to have the success that i had just by doing simple things like running craigslist ads or showing up to, I would go to, like, recruiting fairs and, like, not even have a booth always. Sometimes I had a booth. Later on, I, I got a position with Vivant where they realized what I was doing and were like, hey, you should do this for the whole region. But um, I would just show up to career fairs and talk to people in the parking lot and just approach them in the parking lot. Like, hey, you're here for a job. What do you look, if they looked like they were the part, you know? And so it was kind of this, like, guerrilla warfare style of just, like, anywhere. I've pulled people out of restaurants, that, you know, like, they're my waiter and I convert them to solar.
0: Yeah, exactly. You manage this conversation and relationship really well. seems like you know your stuff and you have a capacity for holding a lot of information in your head. I've got the job for you.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You seem like you could be, again, it's that everybody wants more. So it's like, hey, man, you seem like you could do so much more than being a waiter if you ever wanted to get into something. And and solar is fantastic. I mean, how many industries can you go to a homeowner, say, hey, I want nothing out of pocket from you. I'm gonna put some equipment on your roof that's gonna decrease your bill by 30, 40, 50% here in California. Oh, and how about five or seven or $10,000 in tax credits on top of that, right? Like it just doesn't exist anywhere. So the uniqueness of the product has definitely helped in the recruiting.
0: So Alex, you and your brother, I have to imagine sort of shook some things uh, in the the traditional VIMIT model. And I'm curious, what did you do that, that got you noticed and allowed you to rise in leadership within Vivint itself?
1: Yeah, so um, Vivint's a great recruiting organization. They do tons of team building. But anytime you talk about tripling an office in a quarter, um, you're going to get a little bit of notice. And so the first thing that happened was they came to me and said, hey, this is, this is obviously working in Stockton. Can you add the same thing in the Bay Area and in Fresno? And so I started to kind of help those offices and do the same thing I don't think it was even 30 days after that, they came to me and said, Hey, we've got this opportunity. We're thinking about adding regional recruiters, which would include everything basically north of Bakersfield for the whole rest of California. I think there were seven offices at the time. And so um, started helping on that level and then uh, ended up at one point all the way up to 15 offices going all the way down to like uh, Apple Valley just outside of LA. And so um, the recruiting is one piece of it, but then Creating systems and creating um, opportunities for people to actually learn A, solar and B, sales, but C, um, you know, creating an ideal lifestyle, creating an opportunity where you're um, mentally, physically, you know, emotionally whole and feel uh, great about your life. And when you're in that scenario, it's easy to feel great about your work. And so, um, I feel like we just kind of created some magnet, you know, pulled the people into us.
0: Are regional teams and maybe even like city level teams like Stockton competing with other regional offices? And and if they are, was there any organization that allowed for mind share of what you guys are doing in Stockton to what folks are doing in uh, Salt Lake City?
1: Yeah, so. Vivens huge on competitions. everything's a competition. every team is fighting every other team all the time
0: to be the, the yeah. top of the pile for sure they're great yeah, at so, that. Why would, so so why would you share at that point right?
1: Um, yeah they, they it's fun because they were able to create competition but it was competition of uh, like teammates right It's like you can have competition with a brother and want to be the best in your family but he's still your brother. And so Vivant did a great job of, um, we were always trying to be the best of a group of one, right? We were all together and, and it was just, who was the best in our crew, if you will. Right,
0: got it. You were able to transfer that knowledge to other regional teams that weren't necessarily your teams, but the, the whole organization was learning from what you were doing. That's pretty cool. I remember when we talked before, you said that, uh, I don't know if it was your brother that discovered it or how far back or forward in the story it is, but this whole dealer model began to emerge. And it's one of the things that, handedly, like I was in the solar industry a long time ago, nobody had dealers. Everybody worked internally as an employee. There weren't any outside organizations, but I had worked in 2011 with a company out of Boston that was a manufacturer's rep, which is effectively a dealer. They're just a external representative yes. of the product. Right. And when I came back into the Resi solar space in 2016, 17, I started to see that half the folks we were talking with were not working for any organization I'd ever heard of before. You know, right. solar, energy, solar energy partners, not, not, you know, not Vivint or Sunrun uh, or any of the big names that we all sort of associate with the companies building the solar projects on the roofs. When did you first start learning about this whole dealer model? And maybe for the sake of those who've never heard of it before, can you distinguish between the different roles that entities can play in the space and how you figured out where your role was
1: yeah absolutely so i'd say like mid 2016 is probably the first time that i heard of this dealer concept and it was it was like there's no way there's no way that this is real you can't because any, i mean at that time 2015 2016 if you were making 300 dollars a kilowatt in residential solar it was like dude that's pretty good you're making good money and i heard i had a guy who sent me a message on facebook and was like, you could make a thousand dollars a kilowatt selling the same thing that you're selling. And I was like, No way. Like there's no way that there's that much more in it. And again, we were just we were building and when you're building and you got stuff going on, it's like, dude, get that out of here. So that was kind of the first yeah. I heard about it. Didn't really get it. And three hundred dollars a
0: kilowatt, I mean that's thirty cents a watt. That's a that for, for those of us by the way in the commercial industrial or the utility sector who are begging for somewhere <laughs> between two and 10 cents a watt, right? Yeah. Like the notion that somebody can make 30 cents a watt. It's bonkers. Yeah, it's bonkers. A thousand dollars, $1 a watt. Right, right. $1 a watt, I don't think so. So yeah, that, that was when we first heard about it. And then
1: again, um, friends, right? I I'm, I feel like one of the things I've done in my career is always keep a close eye on friends and hey, what are you doing? And what are you seeing? And What's your experience? I'm constantly trying to pull knowledge from people that are gathering it. And so- we had some friends that left Vivant and we're doing this dealer thing. And they were like, "It's real, man. I can show you the you know my pay stubs." It's that Wolf of Wall Street moment of like, if you can show me a check of you making seventy grand a month, I'll quit my job right now, right? It was had one of those moments, and they showed it to us, and uh, we were like, "Hey, Vivent, thanks, see you."
0: So this is one of the things that you and I see in in the subculture that is kind of the dealer model of the real money that people are making. But we're talking like kids barely out of college, making 50 to 150 Gs a month.
1: Yeah, it's uh, kids in college. We have a couple of college students that are full-time college students and full-time you know, solar sales reps. And they're making, like you said, 25, 30 grand a month while they're going to school full-time. So it's, it's a wild industry. Um, the dealer model is basically this. There's three pieces to any residential solar deal. You got who's gonna pay for it, You got who's going to get up on the roof and do it, and you got who's going to take the customer through the process and kind of manage them all the way from A to PTO, right? And so we identified early, and then the main thing that I feel like I learned from North Dakota is that fulfillment is the worst part of any business. Um, Sales is fun, finding customers is fun, building sales teams is fun. Doing it on the roof and actually getting it installed, that's extremely difficult to do at scale. And so we realized we could scale farther, faster, impact more people, do more good if we just let other companies get it on the roof and other companies pay for it and we'll just be the ones that connect everybody in the middle and kind of manage the project through the
0: right so the vivent model you know vivent was the first in the industry to really scale a lot has been said about how vivent built the business that was both radically new to our industry but also elegant in business model scale, right? So Vivint, predominantly a home automation company, tip of the spear being Alarms, was born in Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City, uh, the headquarters globally for Latter-day Saints, LDS, and uh, which by its very nature and core as a uh, as a philosophy includes at a very young age, going out to neighborhoods and canvassing and evangelizing and knocking doors, right? Right. So, You've got this whole community that is predisposed to the idea that it's totally okay and normal. It's socially acceptable to go knock on doors and ask people to talk to you who don't know you. Right. So that's one like disposition. One Vivint had this like petri dish to test things in. The alarm business blew up uh, because of that because Vivint, among many others, had realized okay, cool, let's teach these young LDS kids how to go knock doors and sell products and. Right. And then Vivent said, oh, wait, we already own the customer. We can go knock on those doors again and and get repeat business and again and again, right? Get repeat business. So it's more share of wallet, which is the biggest way to build a business. That's what Amazon does. Amazon just increasingly takes more and more of your monthly paycheck, right? (laughs) Your bank doesn't take more of your paycheck. They have one steady mortgage that you pay. So with with that in mind, you know, just for folks who are trying to think about this, um, like you guys had this, you had this understanding of how to build a team. You had this culture where people, you, you know, like young in particular, young people can can grok the idea, I'm going to make some money by knocking on doors. And, there's, and they're, they're young and resilient, so more prone to handle rejection and disappointment and grow past it. How did you and your brother decide? Tell me about the moment where you were sitting with your brother and you thought about like, how do we scale this business? Who does what?
1: Yeah, like, so we bucked the trend a lot. In the sense that we do very little recruiting out of Idaho and Utah. That younger LDS crowd that you're talking about is very, very highly sought after. And so uh, rather than trying to be in there fighting with everybody else over the same assets, we decided early, early on at Vivant, let's focus on where we're at. Let's not try and find people in Utah and ship them to California. Let's find the people in California that are willing to do something different than they always have. So um, we have a very, diverse group, especially, um, here at SEP now, but even in our time at Vivant, if you looked at other teams, like you're talking about, it's a ton of really young dudes straight out of college or probably return missionaries that have knocked on doors. Our teams were not that we were bringing in local people. Um, a lot of them had sales experience, but had never done door to door. But again, the, the uniqueness of the solar product is like, I'll try something outside the box because yeah,
0: this is a little different. To your point a moment ago, where you said if I found a waitress that I felt really compelled me with her sales c- capacity, I was going right. to ask her, I was going to give her a new opportunity, a new way to wrap that skill.
1: So yeah, we we love the fact that um and and to you know answer your question of earlier, what did we do that was different at Vivener? Um, I'd say that was the number one thing that we did was recruiting local and teaching rather than trying to take. Somebody out of Utah or Idaho, and just change the product that they're using.
0: So then, when you guys decided to move beyond Vivint, tell me about how you and your brother set your business up to either you know build upon or differentiate what you were doing, and who did what. and You did this, he did that, and you scaled on top of that.
1: Yeah. So we were at a point, we had done a ton of building at Vivant, We'd had a lot of fun there and seen a lot of success, but we were feeling, and I particular in the recruiting was feeling the frustration of trying to turn the Titanic, right? When you have something as big as Vivint, um, when you go to them and say, Hey, we need to build a new training program. It's kind of like going to, uh, you know, Delta and saying, Hey, we need to switch the engines out on this plane. It's like, dude, we're, we're flying here. We're not going to, So um, we kind of had this realization. And as I said, some of our friends had gotten into the dealer model. And so I have the entrepreneurial itch in our uh, relationship. I'm always the one that's like, hey, man, we should just leave and go do our own. We should just start our own. It'll be way better. Clint is very, if a system is working, don't screw up with the system, right? And so I was kind of the first one that that forayed out, had some friends um, that wanted to work in solar but for whatever reason had had a bad experience with Vivin or we just weren't interested in joining the Vivin teams. And so I said, well, hey, I've got this other idea. I could plug you into it, but it's going to be kind of learning on the fly and it's going to be you and me figuring this thing out. And so we, uh, we spent the latter half of 2017 kind of figuring it out with some really close friends of mine. And then by early 2018, uh, I convinced Clint, like, dude, we got to do this full time. We got to jump in. And so we left. And our thing when we left was, we had two major prerogatives. Number one, build a world-class training organization, something that puts training first, training second, and everything else comes after that. And then number two was more options for our reps is going to equal more customers. If you send somebody into a house and they only have one thing that they can sign somebody up for, they're going to get some deals, but they're going to miss some deals. And so if we can empower our reps to have option one, two, three, four, five, however many they need, it's just going to give them more chances to actually come away with the deal. And so from the beginning, it was me running the business side of it, payroll and contracts with our installers and finding new installers. And, um, you know, all of that is kind of the side of the business that I took. And then uh, Clint's an absolutely phenomenal salesperson. And so he took the... Um, you know, training and teaching, leading from the front, going out and just proving every day that like, hey, there's people signing up for solar. If you're not getting deals, um, you probably need to just be putting more time in.
0: But recruiting is also in your wheelhouse, right? So you would, you'd bring them in, you'd, you'd catch the harvest and then Clint would clean it.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we shared especially in the early days, we shared a lot of that training role because I, I love training people and teaching people as well. But Kind of our thing was like, if you have a question with a customer or about what to say to a customer, you go to Clint. If you have a question about anything else, you go to Alex. And that was yeah, kind of got it. the early So it's like the
0: psychology of the sale or their technology of the sale. Right. Exactly. I love that you said like the two fundamental principles for you were training first and and expanding options. Right. Uh, what would you say, you've harped on training I think that there are many elements to the training that are important. What would you say are the keys to building a team that endures?
1: Vivian always taught it as the three legs to a stool. You've got um, you to teach them how to do it, you've got to help them believe that they can do it, and then you've got to show them that it can be done. And so for us, it was a lead from the front, Clint, pretty much week in and week out, beat everybody else, just be the number one sales rep every week, right? And then tactical training. And then we love discipleship where it's um, it's not do as I say, not as I do. It's, hey, come with me, come follow me in a neighborhood, come follow me, you know, shadow me in a door approach or shadow me in a closing opportunity and see exactly what I'm doing because um, you can just accelerate so much faster by watching someone in their element who knows what they're doing.
0: That's really cool, man. Thank you for summarizing that. You also decided to expand the leadership team. It's not just you and Clint running the business. Tell me about the decision to bring on Dave Madrid and why that was important.
1: Yeah, so um, the early days, it was called Golden Valley Energy. We weren't even Solar Energy Partners yet, and so um, we were right there in the middle of the Central Valley, Stockton, Modesto area. And um, we had met Dave at Vivint and in the Vivint Smart Home Solar days, and we knew of him. Dave was a powerhouse. He's uh, been creating sales teams on a very high level for a long, long time, and so. It's funny, yeah. um, he, I got was at Vivint? he was at Vivant. I got introduced to him by um, a great mutual friend of ours now who's actually in the business with us, Anthony tells his name, and Anthony was like, hey, I got this guy you got to meet, met each other, um, maybe 10 minute conversation, I, You know, it was a pretty limited conversation, but when we left, we both had the same conversation with Anthony and both said, I'm going to recruit that guy, he's going to come work for me. It took us a while. And we ended up recruiting each other. And um, and so in 2018, or uh, in 2019, excuse me, is when Dave joined and we um, transitioned from uh, GVE, Golden Valley Energy, to uh, Solar Energy Partners. And that's when we expanded down into uh, Southern California and started adding teams from there. And then what I didn't realize at the time, I knew Dave was a phenomenal recruiter. But what I realized is that I think his skill set, even more so than that, is um, building systems for development. Um, we love to teach people. Dave loves to develop people and help them, you know, become more leaders and and to expand themselves even more than we did. And so it's been an absolutely fantastic partnership.
0: Well, you had told me before he was at Cutco. For those who don't know, Cutco again is a classic example of a door to door sales business. And I, I've you know I've seen a bunch of folks from the door to door business. Uh, a good friend of mine, her husband. Was in Cutco, and also he was in uh, I don't know a couple of other door-to-door businesses, and he now has a pretty large team selling uh, selling solar as well. But what what about Dave in his training really prepared him for the uh, for kind of the position that he's in, in like the passion that he has for developing people?
1: Yeah, so at Cutco, Dave basically set every record they've had, and and I mean he just was like you know rookie of the year. Youngest person to ever be promoted to manager, youngest person to ever become a regional, number one regional ever, most like anything you can think of. So he was huge. And then Vivant, they stole Dave away from Cutco. And basically, uh, he went to Vivant and, and just immediately started doing the same thing. And so he's had a few of these runs at it, right? Going from zero to huge over and over again. And so he knows um, it's crazy to me to have a conversation with Dave and he can tell me. Oh, this is exactly where we are on the progress. And this is what we're going to do next. And then this will be what we do after that. And he sees wow. it so clearly at the 10,000 foot view.
0: Um, that is he he's a partner navigating. with you now? Yeah,
1: he's a full partner with us.
0: That's cool. It's really, really helpful to have someone with that level of vision, organizational vision and development prowess Absolutely. to help you and your brother guide the, guide the ship hey you know it's becoming commonplace to hear that energy storage is the key to deploying renewables at scale but if you've tried to put storage on a commercial solar project ever then you realize it's easier said than done until now look i've seen many energy storage solutions for commercial buildings as a solar project developer in my 15 years in the industry but Yada Energy's storage product just scratches that developer itch of fit, function, and ease to install. Yada's PV coupled ecosystem of solar plus storage solutions integrates seamlessly right behind the solar panel. In fact, it elegantly replaces the need for a ballast as it nests right into the racking on a flat roof install. Even better, Yada's integrated storage technology can enable up to 60 percent more solar to be employed on commercial buildings with commercial buildings consuming 35 percent of electricity that means that yada is finally helping business owners and solar installers alike make a serious dent in the commercial sector's massive carbon emissions yada energy is poised to meet the growing demands of electrification by maximizing solar plus storage without taking up additional valuable commercial real estate for your customers To find out how Yotta Energy can bring storage to your CNI rooftop project, visit mysuncast.com forward slash Yotta. That's Y-O-T-T-A. Yotta Energy, an elegant and revolutionary approach to solar plus storage. Are you in the Massachusetts solar market? Well, if you are, I have an exclusive partnership opportunity I'd like to talk with you about related to the Massachusetts Smart Energy Program. Please Feel free to email me, Nico at mysuncast.com, if the following applies. We're looking for folks with system sizes between 5 kilowatts and 500 kilowatts in the Eversource and National Grid service areas. We can help convert disqualified leads and turn them into revenue. We're looking for turnkey EPC services. And success fees can be paid at agreed-upon milestones. We'll help you convert unqualified solar leads and turn them into revenue. No credit or utility bill required. And we can work on all kinds of different properties. Small commercial, rental property, places of worship, schools, multifamily, condos, strip malls. Yeah, all of those places that you have heretofore been unable to put solar because they're unqualified. Or even residential leads that have DQ'd. Maybe you're a lead gen provider or know someone. All these types of projects we'd love to help you with. And we can give you more information if you want to reach out to me at Nico at Suncast dot com and mention Massachusetts smart energy program in the subject line. The pandemic affected everybody differently. Lots of folks suffered. How did the pan- pandemic affect your business?
1: Yeah, so we were kind of with everybody else in the early days. It was uh, disbelief, right? Like this can't really be happening and um, two day, two weeks to flatten the curve, right? Like, oh, I guess we're going to have to all just like it's just a couple weeks. What's a couple weeks? We'll take a break. Everybody will get some energy. And we'll charge back out there. And, um, I think it was like week three or week four, it was very apparent that two weeks to flatten the curve was not what it was going to be. We saw a lot of companies within the industry and a lot of people that we knew that, um, had this pullback feeling of like, Hey, let's circle the wagons. Right. And, and let's just try and get everybody in. And I, um, I very clearly remember having a conversation with Clint and Dave, and saying, I just think that we should do the opposite. I think we should just double down on recruiting. Let's just double our ad spend what we're normally spending. We'll just spend twice as much. And there's going to be so many extra people looking for it. You know, we can't fail, basically. And, uh, you know, we were lucky enough that it worked out pretty pretty great for us.
0: At one point, you had like an outlandish number in my mind of people that you'd recruited. What was the What was the total number of folks you recruited through the pandemic?
1: So if you go from January of 2020 through right now, uh, we've onboarded and added over 2000 people to the organization.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For what it's uh, worth, that's double, for what it was worth, that's double the number that you told me when we first met in May, man. Well, I have to imagine then that not only is Dave good at systems, but, uh, but you're good at systems uh, in order to recruit and manage that many people. Uh, One of the core skills that I have to imagine you were able to help that thousand people really figure out that was kind of one of those, nobody knows how to do this yet things is virtual selling. What was your journey in virtual selling?
1: Again, our business is a recruit driven business. We're, um, we're not going out and trying to find a bunch of, you know, sharks that have been dominating solar for five years. We're trying to go out and find people that have never done this before. So when you do that, you're tapping into networks. And so a lot of our reps get their first two, three, or even sometimes five deals from their existing network. And so people didn't, you know, they didn't want to have you come over and visit, but if it's your cousin or your brother or your family member or whatever friend, they still wanted to talk to you. And I think even more so, you know, when we started getting into month two, three, four of the pandemic, everybody was pretty lonely, stuck at home. you weren't able to go out and socialize. You weren't able to see your friends and family and have that normal interaction. And so we just said, look, we're going to do this we're just going to figure it out. And we're going to have some failures and we're going to have some missteps and and we'll probably have a lot of these deals that we won't end up getting, but nobody else is going to get them either because of the pandemic. And so um, we just kind of had this attitude of like, Hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Will Smith fan, and I love his character in Wild Wild West, right? And it's uh, shoot first, shoot second, shoot third, and then maybe ask a couple questions. And so it's like we'll just start doing these zooms, and we'll figure out what we need to figure out when we get in there.
0: That's amazing, man. Uh, one of the things that you said earlier that that sticks with me is that you said, "Okay, let's increase our ad spend." It's super uncommon, as you know for most of the solar industry to spend money on ads at all, except the, you know, present company excluded. Uh, and if they're going to spend money on ads, they're going to spend money on either buying leads or doing Facebook ads, trying to get their like their neighborhood folks to buy from them as an installer. I've never, I've never spoken with someone who, who is actually doing ad spend to recruit talent that's not also like trying to do it on LinkedIn. Can you talk to me a bit about the adverti- that, that idea and the model, that, that, where'd that come from and, and how do you manage it?
1: Yeah, so we do a ton of digital ads in the recruiting space, right? So Monster, Indeed, ZipRecruiter, like you said, LinkedIn. And the whole philosophy is people are looking for an opportunity, especially in the pandemic. People were looking for like, hey, man, what's something I can do? And there were people that were unsatisfied with their industry or unsatisfied with what they'd been doing. But it's hard uh, to exchange good for great, right? If you've got a job and you're making good money and it's a good situation and you're getting good success, why would you change it? Well, then the pandemic comes along and all of a sudden everybody's kind of in this weird spot where it's like, man, I can kind of do anything I want now, right? Like maybe I can take some risks. Maybe I can try something that I wouldn't normally do. And so that was kind of the direction that we went with the ads was like, hey, try something new, uh, try something you've never done before. And then as far as managing it or how do we handle that whole thing, we have uh, a vendor called Human Capital Recruiting that does a ton of that for us. They, They manage a lot of our ads and are kind of the front end of that bucket, if you will, that catches all the resumes and goes through and determines who to interview
0: like, how did you decide to use them? Right? Like, this is one of the, these are the thoughts that go through my mind as a business owner. Like, did you talk to a bunch of companies and then find human capital? Did they cold call you like, man, I think that it's, it's fantastic. Cause I also, a lot of folks will question, well, I can't run all those ads. I don't know how to do that.
1: Yeah. So Dave owns human capital recruiting. That's how we found him. So he, he, uh, he formed <laughs> of it. and, uh, and then his partner is Anthony Pimentel. As I said, the person that connected me and Dave together. So, um, we kind of helped each other. Uh, they got that going when we were doing Golden Valley Energy. We were their yeah. first customer, um, so it was kind of this idea of like, "Hey, how can we work together and collaborate?" And then as the collaboration had success, it was like, "Hey, we need to we need to up this collaboration. We need to get more hands on involved." And, and so they both joined the business. Uh, Dave is a partner, and Anthony is our number one regional manager. Wow!
0: And who runs Human Capital?
1: So they do, and then they have a couple of incredible vice presidents that have been with yeah. them for years, uh, going all the way back to the Cutco disk.:
0: One more question on training and team. You onboard 2,000 people in an 18-month period. How do you manage churn?
1: Um, realistically, we don't try and fight it. We understand that there's going to be a lot of people that are willing to take an opportunity and look into something and then realize it's not a good fit. and um, What's unique about our business is it's not, even when I compare like solar, the way we do it to, to alarms, the way we did it, it's, it's night and day, it's just completely different than really anything else I've experienced. And so there's no way to know until you know. And so we just, um, kind of accept the fact that some people are going to come in and it's not going to be a good fit. Some people are going to come in and realize that, you know, they don't want to do what it takes to be successful. They don't want to, you know, put up with all day, every day rejection and then the people that do want to stay, um, again, when they can see and feel that we want to show them how to do this, it's not, um, oh, yeah, go figure it out. Or, oh, hey, you just need to work harder. There is a there is a proven formula, A plus B equals C. And if you can learn the formula and apply it, you'll get the results. and And so, those that stay tend to see a tremendous amount of success. And those that leave, coincidentally, a lot of them return back. We have a lot of people that have joined the business and uh, left for whatever reason. And then two, three, four months, a year down the road, they call back and say, hey, that other thing that I went and tried, it wasn't what That's I right. thought it was going to be. Can I come back? And And it's, of course, we want everybody to
0: come back always. Are you willing to tell me, like, what's your attrition rate?
1: Um, we're probably somewhere in the, like... Um, 90% rate if you look at 12 months, like year over year.
0: Retention so. or attrition.
1: Attrition. 90% attrition. Oh, man. Yeah. So it's a very... Uh, to make it to the one-year mark um, is very difficult, but the average person that makes it to the one-year mark is making um, over 12000 a month when they get there. So it's one of those things where not everybody. can
0: I mean, it, I can see such a thumbprint of Dave Madrid on this, dude, because you have to have you have to have a gutted out development and like constant development model born from door to door sales and probably even some multi-level marketing mixed in there to be okay with and accept the 90% attrition rate. Right. Yeah. Because you really are like, you're, you're throwing money and systems at a, uh, at a, at an ocean and knowing that like the net is a 12 month net. That's not a, 12 day net. It's, and we're, we're really just going to see, you know, the big fish, the ones we want aren't going to slip right. through the holes.
1: Exactly. I think to me, it's just understanding that 99% of people would never even attempt the job that we're doing. And 90% of that 1% that'll try it just aren't going to be able to make it work. Like this is for everything that's great about our industry. It is an extremely difficult industry to come into a commission only environment. And to have success, it ju- most people just aren't going to be able to do it. And so we just accept that, um, unfortunately, most people aren't going to make it. We pour our love into them as long as we've got them and wish them the best in whatever they do next. Try and send them with a couple extra skills on their way.
0: Right. And you are. You're training them with life skills. That's amazing. What does platform mean to you and Dave?
1: I would say probably one of two things. Number one would be like our actual platform that we run everything on and our, um, it's called base camp. I uh, love base camp. And yeah. then, uh, number two, I would say is probably recruit, recruit, recruit is, is our uh, platform. Yeah. It's, it's bring them in. And again, understand that they're not all going to stay. And that I wish, I mean, I, you know, if there was a way that we could have 90, reten- 90% retention, I'm all ears on how to do it. But Matt, when you look at when you look at the door to door industry as a whole, for as long as we've been involved in it, which is you know coming up on twenty years, it's always been a ninety percent attrition business. That's
0: just how it is. I didn't know that. That's really that's really keen insight. I wrote down recruiting, bring them in, train them up, let them lead or leave. Choice is theirs. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Basecamp. What do you like about Basecamp, man? They've uh, it was the first real like project management platform I was introduced to. God, two thousand and eight by my friend Ryan Hamilton, who was at Coincidentally, Solar Power Partners, before it was bought by NRG. And I've had a number of folks bring Basecamp base around. I love the the 32Signals guys. Um, I mean, they're amazing, but you don't find a whole lot of people working off Basecamp these days.
1: Yeah, we were probably late to the game. I think it was Basecamp 3 by the time that we got involved with them. And now they're on Basecamp 4 or 5 or something. They're, they're growing like crazy. But um, we just love how it allows us to organize, um, you know, down from... Our HQ team that has the entire organization, and you know, there's probably 1500 people on that right now that I can instantly communicate to. Is I could drop the, drop the link for this and say, Hey, everybody, jump on and add a thousand viewers to your whatever. And then all the way down to uh, teams that have five people on it that I can direct how to specifically do something and having that flexibility to super cool organize something as big and as And so, what you we've use like going.
0: I think it's backpack or whatever it is that you use their CRM and everything. I'm not familiar with Backpack. I don't think we do anything with that.
1: But um mm-hmm. Basecamp 3 and 4 is where all of ours is housed right now.
0: So ba- I mean back in the day they had different products and you had to kind of pick and choose kind of like ClickFunnels style. Um and Backpack might in fact be a ClickFunnels product. But so so you but you use the you use them for CRM, for database management, for scheduling, all that stuff?
1: Uh yeah, a lot of it. I'd say a ton of our, like, customer scheduling stuff is all done mm-hmm. through the installer. But, yeah, scheduling for, like, all of our team events and any of that kind of stuff is all done through them. And then um, it's where, really, it's the place that we house all of our training. So, if you want to watch a right. training video on how to do a door approach, you go into Basecamp and you can go in and watch a video from my brother or any number of Got other it. super successful So, leaders. that's where
0: you're learning, yeah, your LMS is basically built on, on Basecamp. When
1: exactly. you say...
0: Appointments are handled by the installer. So you guys basically don't go generate appointments. You receive them?
1: Uh, No, I meant like um, appointments throughout the sales process, uh, throughout like the, the operational process. So our normal process is the rep will create contact with the customer in whatever way that they do. Maybe they knock on their door. Maybe they call them. Maybe they run into them in a restaurant at a gas station, whatever it is. And they'll give them their quote unquote elevator pitch, right? And they'll schedule a time to come by and do an actual presentation Capture some info from the customer usage, all that kind of information, and then they'll go back and do a second appointment, close docs, all that kind of stuff. But that's normally seventy-two hours from start to finish, from the point that they and initiate that, that, contact. That
0: whole lead capture process is gets captured in Basecamp. No, reported through Basecamp, but captured again through the
1: installer, different installers' platforms. So uh, Infinity Energy is one of our like main companies that we use, especially here in California. So all of that all of those uh, lead information would all be through their uh, internal CRM so that we can request proposals or docs or whatever needed.
0: How do you think about expansion? One of the calls you and I had was about a team that you'd picked up and integrated from Texas.
1: Yeah. So again, I think it it stems back to the name and um, me and Dave had a conversation before we went from GVE to solar energy partners and we're trying to decide, you know, and we're trying to, Capture something that really encapsulates what we're trying to do, and that is what we're trying to do, right? We want to form partnerships as many of them as we can, as broad as we can, um, on all fronts. We need install partners, we need recruiting partners, we need sales partners. And so, the addition of those guys in Texas and some other teams, it's all about forming partnerships that are going to last long term, right? It's not, yeah, hey, how do are you, we are how you do
0: acquiring we- them, or are you taking a an interest in the businesses? How are you actually structuring the MA? and
1: um, It just depends. We've done um, everything from just like a, a normal partnership where it's like, hey, you do your side, we'll do our side. Here's how we'll do revenue split to um, full on, uh, you know, merger where we bring their business into our business and they, yeah. um, you know, become a partner or whatever level within our company as well.
0: What markets outside of California are you really interested in right now? Uh, absolutely love Colorado. Love Texas,
1: um, super, super bullish on Florida. Um, it was kind of it's weird the Sunshine State was a weird place to sell solar for a long, long time, but it's um, finally starting to develop nicely. I'm excited about the eastern seaboard. We've just teeny scratched the surface in like New Jersey, Pennsylvania, so I'm excited about that whole New York, Massachusetts, DC., everything all through there.
0: Yeah. What about the South? Other than Texas, I didn't hear anything in there. Well, ta- Florida is not the South, technically.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, the South is a place where I still feel like it's probably a year or two away from us really like diving in there. Um, when you look at just utility pricing and, you know, for us... W- we're not going in and trying to build out the ops teams. So we have to go to a location where ops teams exist. And so when we look into, into some of those markets, it's a very limited uh, operational footprint. And so for me, the solar energy partners, our motto is to create the best customer and rep experience in the solar industry. That's kind of how it starts. And so I don't want to go into a, an environment where we're going to provide a bad customer experience. I'd rather just wait until the experience can be done correctly. And I think, you know, two years from now, the South will start to really pick up momentum. Five years from now, you can be 25, 30 states deep, which is our
0: intention. So you look for operational footprint, and that means a, an installer network that you that can serve the level of of opportunities that you can close. Exactly.
1: Yeah, we don't want to Go come ahead. in and create a bunch of customers that we can't get PTO'd or can't get installed. And now we're getting bad reviews. It's better to just wait.
0: Yeah. Are you also looking at, you said a t- a utility rates, are you looking also at like more esoteric stuff like uh, uh permit backlog and you know sort of local logistics?
1: It's something that we're, I would say, cognizant of. Um, it's not a place that we put a ton of effort because, you know, I feel like, a relationship like permit backlog in all reality is like almost any other relationship. It's a human to human connection. And if you're, if you have the right connection with that permit specialist, you'd be surprised how often the backlog doesn't affect you.
0: Yeah. So what I hear you say is you look for back to operational footprint. How how do you choose the EPCs that you work with then?
1: Um, I love, I love somebody else's experience. So I'm constantly trying to find someone that I know That's operating there or somebody i know that's worked with this installer before and saying hey what's your experience what have you seen what do i need to avoid or or what do i need to know about this person and then um, i'm very big on uh just having a conversation with the owner i feel like um i'm pretty good at being able to smell bullshit and so um you know based on what their their feedback to my questions if i say hey you know, we want to come in and scale fast. Are you going to be able to handle it? And they say, Oh yeah, you could never outsell us. We'll scale as much as you want. I, I already know that this guy's just giving me a pitch. And if I say, Hey, we want to come in and scale fast. And they say, Oh no, man, don't do that. Don't come create a bunch of problems for me. Let's, let's scale, but let's do it, uh, you know, in a methodic way. Then I already know that I'm talking to somebody who's probably who we're interested
0: in. Got it. What's a typical day look like for you, Alex? Ooh, um,
1: I'm trying to be up at seven. Um, I do some morning priming and uh, get in some kind of workout. And then normally by eight o'clock, my phone's ringing and I'm, uh, I'm on the phone a lot. I spend a lot of time on the phone. I try and visit uh, one of our office locations most days of the week. So I'm, a lot of times I'm up in the morning and driving somewhere or getting to one of our places. And then in the afternoon, I'm trying to meet with leadership. And then, you know, on the phone with various people till anywhere ten, eleven, sometimes midnight if I'm really pushing and then, uh, repeat, repeat, repeat. And then Sundays I go play golf.
0: <laughs> well, another, uh, fun fact, uh, about something that you like to do, although you probably don't get to do it enough is, uh, you like motorcycles.
1: I do. I love motorcycles. I, um, I've only owned one and, um, I didn't own it for very long. I crashed it like three times in 90 days or something. And like my shoulder was all messed up and I'm limping around and I was just like, so what I've realized is I've, I love motorcycles, but I'm not meant to be a motorcycle owner. So I love to go on vacation and rent one and spend, you know, four, five, seven, ten 10 days riding. But the longer I'm on a motorcycle, the more aggressive I become. And so I have to, I have to uh, more space comfortable out. You become yeah, yeah, I have to <laughs> yeah. space out my time for sure,
0: and you do these vacations you don't, you don't do them alone, right
1: no yeah we're we're um, I've been extremely fortunate to get involved with a group that uh, loves travel as much as I do, and so that uh, you can see behind me I've got my little world map here uh, with pins in the different places that I've been, and so um, I have a group that we met at infinity the CEO there, Mark Stacy, who's a phenomenal, phenomenal businessman. And then, um, the VP of dealer operations, a guy named Bernie Packard. And then, um, one of my other partners, uh, that joined us as part of that Texas merger, we were talking about guy named Brad Holm. We've been on five continents together. And then we have, there's another probably 10 or 15 people that'll kind of mix into that core group of five, um, depending on
0: what the trip is. That's awesome. Well, I want to ask a question I have. I usually ask sometimes as we sort of turn the corner here and, and head towards home base. Cause I know we both have some other things we need to get to. I appreciate all the time that you've given when you think about, uh, you know, solar or renewable energy broadly, uh, when I say the word success story, who comes to mind for you?
1: Um, Alex Williams, is that, a, is that too prideful for an answer. Um, I think really, um, Anybody who wants it. What I love about renewables right now is it's a space where the only real determining factor is personal effort. If you come in right now, I don't care what your background is. I don't care what experience you've got. I don't care what advantages or disadvantages you're coming in with. I came into the solar industry a half a million dollars in debt from the debacle that ended uh, the oil and so I was coming in, you know, in a spot that was not ideal and was able to turn it around because the environment that you're in, all it's seeking is work. If you go put in time, energy, effort right now into this industry, you're going to be successful. Now, you know, we like to think that our environment will accelerate that and, and take you farther. Um, I tell people all the time, I want this to be the last place you ever work. When you leave here, it's because you're leaving the job field, Right. But I think uh, if you want to talk about like fan people that I'm a fan of in the industry, or like who's done things that I think are fantastic, obviously uh, you know Todd Peterson, what he did with Vivint Solar was pretty uh, revolutionary and really paved the path for a lot of people. Everybody's an Elon fan. Like I said, we love the Infinity guys. You look at they were connected with Sun Edison early, and when Sun Edison went bankrupt as part of that Vivint acquisition. There were a lot of big dealers that went down and Infinity, um, their leadership team was able to pivot and able to make some moves that kept them in business and has given us an amazing, amazing platform to operate on.
0: That's fantastic. What are some key lessons or takeaways from maybe the Infinity guys or your own uh, mentors that you pass along or want to pass along maybe to the Solar Warriors and SunCast?
1: the main thing we learned from infinity i guess so we'll go back a step the main thing we learned from todd is that hard work beats talent no matter what i don't care how good you are i don't i don't care how long you've been at it if i consistently go outwork you i will eventually beat you that's just how it is and then um what we really learned from the infinity guys is always 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 pivot don't get stuck in this is how we've done it so this is how we're going to do it if something changes you have to change and so uh, we've been very fortunate to be able to pivot, you know, as you spoke of going to the digital format, um, we had a 12 month period, we're big on training, so to, in order to train, you got to get teams together, right? And we had a 12 month period that we weren't able to do team meetings in offices. And so we were doing our meetings in parks, we'd have 20, 30, 50 people come together in a park and, and do two hours of solar training. And so just that idea that always pivot, always try something else, always be looking for that next thing that's going to get you there and then just go put in some hard work and you'll get what you want.
0: Alex, where do you think that we still have like a block that's holding us back as an industry from propelling in the way that we we believe that is possible?
1: Yeah, I think um, there's still the number one um, thing that that keeps people from making a decision, right when you look at this homeowner experience of this is how i 've always got my electricity and am I going to change the way that I do that to something new? If they feel uncertainty, they do not want to change. people don 't like making changes in the middle of uncertainty that 's why you saw um, you know alcohol consumption and all the the bad things that happened during the pandemic is because people were searching for the certainty that had gone away with all the uncertainty, and so I think one thing that we need is. Some type of uh, national level leadership that says, "Hey, this solar thing is for real." Whether it's the extension of the ITC or whether it's you know creating some kind of
0: well, twenty five D would do that, right? The cash option, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So I think I think we're really that close. If there was some kind of signal on a nationwide level of like this is going to be here for a long time, I really feel like we're going to see a huge, huge rush, and I. I believe that that's going to happen. That whatever, however, that legislation ends up coming through, exactly whatever, but it's going to come through. And um, once that certainty is there, that hey, everybody's going to switch. That was we were in California when um, they signed State Bill 100, that committed California to 100% renewables, and we saw the change in customers when it went from oh yeah, the the state wants us to do solar, and everybody thinks solar is a good idea, to now hey the state is doing this, this is what we're doing. And that certainty was there. And overnight, it changed that customer experience because they knew, okay, everybody's going to do it. Do I want to be first? Or do I want to be in the middle? Do I want to be in the end? Most people want to be first if everybody's going to do it.
0: Yeah, that's really cool as well. You can start in terms of back to the market expansion conversation, you can start benchmarking where you want to go or highlighting areas that are being progressive around things like SB 100, right? If you've got legislation that is going to get approved. And it's just, a, it's just a matter of time at that point before there is real core belief in the population. And it's not to say that everybody believes, but that the kinds of customers you are going to have on the fence, they're going to get pushed over the edge of the fence. Alex, I believe that leaders are readers and readers are leaders. What, is there a book or maybe two books that for you have really informed your leadership style or the way that you tr- help others?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm a, um, I'm a big fan of As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. I think everything, uh, you know, ultimately comes back to right here. The only limitation exists between the years, right? So I'm a huge fan of that. And then, yeah, another one that I really like is a book called The Excellence Dividend by Tom Peters. And um, it's probably a little more like sophisticated is the word in my mind. Like I remember sitting there listening to it the first time. I've been through it a few times now. Just like Tony Robbins, I'm a little bit thick. I got to have it hit it a few different times. And so I remember the first time going through being like, I don't even know some of the words that this guy's using and having to go like look up words. But um, I mean, just some phenomenal, phenomenal concepts in there about, you know, going to the next level.
0: As a man thinketh for sure is also one that I am uh, I'm a huge fan of and can, can highly recommend for, for everyone here. Um, I will check out the Excellence Dividend, making a note of that right now. Alex, is there any particular habit or consistent practice in your life that has given you the greatest yield or leverage?
1: Absolutely. There's, a, there's an individual named Dr. Craig Manning. He was at uh, Brigham Young University for a while, and um, he teaches this concept of deliberate practice. So um, it's, I feel like one of the greatest advantages that uh, has served me throughout my life is my ability to learn. Um, I'm very quick to pick up new concepts or new ideas and integrate them into, you know, other things that I've learned or experiences that I've had. Um, And then I think uh, really just taking a look, I'm constantly trying to play the game of uh, what's urgent and what's important. Things that are urgent have to be dealt with, but oftentimes at the sacrifice of important. So I'm constantly trying to say like, hey, is this actually urgent or does it just feel urgent? And can I be doing something that would create bigger impact or, or give me more leverage in what I'm trying to do?
0: Alex, I could probably do another two hours with you of just questions about how you think. I, I really am fascinated by at such a young age, how you have cultivated a life for yourself, created a life for yourself that is enviable by many. Um, not to say that most want the kinds of stress and things that you've dealt with, but hey, you know, you're purified by fire and no entrepreneur, uh, every entrepreneur recognizes that and no entrepreneur wants to feel the flame, but they want to see that purity and they want to see the, the you know, the the forged steel that comes out of the other side. And uh, you, my friend, in many ways have forged steel and I my hat's off to you. I'm sure that more than one uh, solar warrior listening here is going to want to reach out. Where do you like to be found? How can folks best engage with you?
1: Um I'm probably easiest found on uh either Facebook or LinkedIn if you're like a little more directly trying to get a hold of me. I don't always watch those as close as possible. Uh just Alex W at solarenergy.partners is my email. You can always shoot me an email and I'll mm-hmm. uh respond and we'll set up a time to chat.
0: Well Alex, let's end today, as we always do with what I call a bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking? what's on your crystal ball
1: um you know I would say uh, I think that we will do and by we I mean all of us here in the solar industry I think we'll do as much solar in the year 2023 as has been done up to that point so I think we're going to take the the whole industry here and double it in 2023 and uh it will be it'll be the Rubicon moment there'll be no turning back everybody's getting it
0: well, you heard it first here, and Alex and I will do an interview in 23 to confirm that it happened. Alex K. Williams is co-founder and partner in Solar Energy Partners, and he's looking to be your partner and mine, and he has helped us with so much insight into how the uh, sort of the new world that is residential solar is flourishing and you can be a part of it. Alex, thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to be with us on Suncast today, my friend.
1: Absolutely, Nico. I appreciate it, man. And I uh, look forward to chatting again soon, man. Keep up the great work.
0: Wow. Well, if you, like me, didn't know a whole lot about how these dealer programs are working or being built, didn't know, know that the installers don't often do the sales themselves, that the industry is sort of bifurcated, as Alex so elegantly put it into those who pay for the systems, those who install the systems and those who manage the entire sales and customer management process. Well, now you know. And you know from one of the companies that is building one of the fastest growing such sales teams or dealers as they're called in the United States. I hope that you learned a ton about this piece of the business. If you're in this aspect of the industry and we missed something or didn't get it right, I encourage you to jump on LinkedIn and let us know. Uh while you're there, go ahead and follow Suncast and me, Nico Johnson, and click on the post that we've made for this episode. Give us a shout out. Thank Alex for being so vulnerable and open about how he built the business and and the very specific ways that he built the business. Tag Dave Madrid, who wasn't a guest, but was mentioned a lot and tell him that you want to meet him. (laughs) And uh, since I know you're already hopping online and you're going to be clicking through on LinkedIn, go ahead and share this episode with somebody that you think needs to hear it. It really is. A joy when I see that you're getting insight and and it's helping you build your career or your business. So who do you think needs to hear this story today? It's an exciting time in the solar industry. I'd also ask, who do you think needs to be on Suncast? What other elements or topics of the industry and its growth should we be covering? We've expanded out our repertoire as you've noticed, but we're always looking for good guests. So feel free to reach out and let me know if you have an idea for either of those guests or topics. Thanks once again, as always, to our sponsors who help keep this content free for you. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also where you can learn how to partner with us each and every week to reach thousands of Solar Warriors and clean tech champions just like yourself. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.